morning. Today's scripture reading is found in Genesis 11 and Genesis 12. Please follow along in your bulletins as we share these passages with you. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishka. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haram, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. In Genesis 12, the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah, at Shechem. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward Negev. This is the reading of God's word. Good morning, Watermark. Uh, my name is Mike, and I'm helping here at the church with the, the ministry to university students. And if you're new here, or maybe some of you have been traveling the past few weeks and you have missed out, um, let me just get you up to speed with what we have been looking at um, and what we have been studying at, um, at the church here. Uh, for the past few months, we've been walking through the first few chapters of the Bible. Uh, we looked at the creation story, and then we looked at the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, and then we talked about Noah and the flood, and last week we talked about the Tower of Babel. Uh, so all the, the, the chapters that we have looked at so far, they all had to do with how humanity, how we, uh, broke our relationship with God and how we reached for greatness, uh, for our own greatness, and how humanity turns their back on God on this journey to, to putting me in the center. Now, to, to illustrate to you uh, this, this reaching for greatness of humanity, I don't have to go uh, back too far, being a German, I only have to go back about one week. Uh, it was the Champions League final in London, 
Uh, but I don't want to start a church hooligan war. Um, and so my Dutch and British friends here are getting a little antsy, and my American friends, I don't want to bore you with more soccer analogies that I like to use. So I'll tell you a different story. Um, I'll tell you a story, a tale of three German villagers uh, who, after a hard day of work, they would usually get together, and these three villagers would then talk about their day. Now, last week, Chris Thornton uh, shared with us about the Tower of Babel, and he talked about how some people like to talk about how great they are and how they exaggerate, and exactly that, what, what Chris described, happened with these three people, these three villagers, uh, one who used to be a fisherman. And this fisherman did exactly, like, every time he came back, he said, today I caught a fish and it was so big. But we have a, deal, uh, a way of dealing with, uh, with that kind of attitude in Germany. So every time... This guy came up, they got a little angry, the other two, and so next time he came up, right when he wanted to start telling about his day, they stopped him in his tracks and they pulled out a, um, a pair of handcuffs and put the handcuffs on his hands. Say, and he looked a little confused and said, oh, don't worry, just tell us about your day. And they were all a bit with a big smile standing there. And, and so he said, uh, yeah, yeah, today I was out and, and I was fishing and you won't believe, I, I caught a fish and, and it, it has eyes that big. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so it, it shows like it's just in us. Uh, the stories of Genesis that we have studied so far have told that story of how this striving for our own greatness is, is just something that humanity, humanity is it's just in our nature and, uh, and we look for our glory, not for God's glory. But then as I'm also reading through these chapters in Genesis and hear these stories of the Tower of Babel and so on, I sometimes find it very hard to place myself in these grand stories. Like seriously, when, when you hear about Adam and Eve and, and Noah and the Babylonians, like do you find it easy to just think, yeah, I, I could be right there. Um, this is just kind of like, right, like my life. And, and automatically be, uh, like think of like, how does it relate to me? Like, I, I don't. And, and I mean, like, there, there are these bigger than life characters that grow like 200, 300 years old. And they built like gigantic bo boats in deserts just because God told them and they play hoops with the angels and not, not that, but uh, you know what I mean? Like it's just these out of like real-life kind of experiences. It's like these bigger-than-life characters. And today we look at Abraham. And Abraham is one other of these bigger-than-life characters. So today, as we look at his story, I want to see how can we actually relate to that? How we can we place us in that story? Where am I in that story? Where are you in that story? And what does it have to do with us as a church? Uh, I personally, I did not, not grow up in a church. I actually did not grow up Christian. So for the first 23 years of my life, the Bible and all these stories, they didn't really have a lot of meaning for me, uh, for my journey. And Adam and Eve, they were actually on the same level with Hensel and Gretel. Like, they were fairy tale characters. I did not think they had anything to do besides, like, a moral teaching of, I don't know, some fairy tale story. I simply lived my life, uh, the normal life. I had a job in banking. Um, I wanted to start my business one day. Uh, make money, enjoy my life, just what normal people do. And I could care less about what life lessons Noah had for me. And so in August 2000, that started to shift. Um, that's when I became a Christian. And I started to engage with these stories, and I tried to see how these stories in the Bible relate to my life and how they actually tell a story that has something to do with me. Um, actually, two years into my Christian journey, like that desire had grown so much that I actually decided to study a master's in theology instead of continuing my, my business career. At the time when I went to Bible college, I did not think about becoming a pastor. 
Um, I actually wanted to go to see how it relates to my life, and I just felt this urge to, to learn and grow. And so my friends would ask me, so why are you, are you like in banking? Like, what, what, what are you doing? Like studying theology, going to Bible college? And, and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about becoming a consultant for business ethics. Um, that was the best way that uh, I felt like I could, could make sense of these things, and, and maybe it was also because I couldn't make sense of that um, it was just, there was this calling that, that I couldn't resist and that I, I knew I had to do this. And so I went to seminary and growing up in Germany and then going to seminary in the States uh, has been quite an interesting experience. So especially when, when you have not grown up in like Sunday school culture and so compared to all my classmates, um, I would, who most of them came from the American Bible Belt, uh, that was a totally new, new world for me. Uh, my worst class in seminary ever was the introduction to Christian scriptures. Uh, because I had to memorize and repeat in, in the exams who was the son of who from the tribe I couldn't even pronounce. And, and all around me were these like Sunday school raised people that like in the exam would sing like a What Are My Kids song. Say, yeah, that's and they remembered like all these names. And yeah, yeah, I was four years old when I learned that. Uh, but for me, I had no contact with these stories. And so uh, it all reminded me that that kind of you know, this Bible story, I, I, I did not find my place in God's history. I did not connect with this history that he was telling. And I'm sure you here today may feel the same way, like depending on how you grew up. Uh, you may not, you know, when you read, hear this, this Bible passage and uh, thanks to the readers going through all these names, you may feel like, I don't connect, I don't, know, I don't get this. Like um, all these strange Old Testament names. Um, and so as we go and now look at the story of Abraham, so how do we not view him as this like superhero of the Christian faith, this out of the you know, out of real life kind of uh, character? Um, so I hope that uh, when, as we go on this journey, that we can can relate to him. So let's have a look at, at the text and see uh, what it has to say to us today. So the text in your bulletin starts with a genealogy. Uh, it's telling uh, who is the son of who and <laughs> from which tribe and all these complicated names. And if we are honest, most of us, if you do read the Bible, you may just skip that part. At least I have never heard anybody to say Genesis 11, 27, 32 when uh, someone asks you for your favorite Bible verse. Uh, it just seems to have no meaning, no content. It's just a list of random names and you just go over it. But I want to see whether we can actually make some sense of even the genealogy. And so here are some things that I want to highlight first. The passage in chapter 11 begins with, this is the account of. And if you have gone through your Genesis devotional or study book, uh, we have the study book that we prepared for, uh, for the church to go through, so you can pick up a copy outside if you haven't, haven't done that yet. But uh, there's a devotional and, and uh, a study guide. And so if you have gone through that already, then you will see that this is not the first time that this phrase, this is the account of, appears. Actually, it has you know, happened like six times, I think, to this point. So... One of the times that it appears was in chapter 10, and it also started with the same construct introducing the family tree of Noah. So when we, when we see a family tree, uh, this tree seems to uh, introduce something of, of significance, or rather someone, that if someone, someone's history is recorded, there must be something that, that comes out of that story, out of that family, uh, that we should, should uh, like pay close, close attention to. And so here in this text, it's the family tree of Terah that's introduced. And so the, the text continues introducing his sons. And then like in Adam's 
family tree or Noah's family tree, we also here find a family tree with three sons. And uh, here the son that, that uh, we will hear a lot about is Abram, who will later be called Abraham. Another thing that, that we may easily skip um, over when we don't read that uh, genealogy is uh, in verse 29, we hear about Nahar, Milka, Ishka, and in these names, we actually see that the whole tribe has become idolatrous. Uh, the, the names actually refer uh, to, to the cult of moon worship. So the clan, after scattered, like from last week's story, uh, has, has been scattered throughout the land, uh, and they started to embrace the, the surrounding cultures. So the generations had passed, and people had made their home. Terah's family had made a home in this foreign culture. So the genealogy not only introduces that someone significant is coming or something significant is about to happen, but also that there were certain circumstances that something had gone wrong and God is beginning to intervene and speak into it. And thirdly, as we, we read this in, uh, um, introduction, there's also something to learn from what is not being said. Nothing that introduces Abraham uh, indicates that he was anyone special. He's not introduced as a bigger-than-life character with some special merits, no amazing achievements, uh, no reason for why God would call him specifically. It is a simple genealogy and, and not that of a great king or someone who has proven himself. He's just not portrayed as that bigger-than-life character. In the following passage, God is, is calling a simple person from a broken family, from a tribe that has embraced idolatrous worship, uh, they didn't have special achievements, and he calls him to be used by God. So in the same way as God calls simple people, I think that's where we can find ourselves in that story because he still today uses simple people, calls simple and broken people to bring glory to himself. Now, so let's look at the second part of that text, and let's dig a little bit deeper in that calling that we find in chapter 12. The chapter starts with, with God interacting with Adam, and in the, in the first, it's the first time since um, uh, the time of Noah when God had uh, established the covenant that there's a recorded conversation or some, some kind of uh, dialogue between God and his people. And I'm sure you have studied all your genealogies very carefully and, and uh, the numbers, and then you have all figured out that it's about 400 years from Noah till now. So for 400 years, there has been... Uh, somewhat of a silence, nothing that God has revealed is so significant that it would, it would be mentioned in the scriptures. And so in verse 1, he says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. Now we said we want to look at Abram as a real person, and, and I think this is one of these situations where that gets a little difficult. Um, because we, we start to read these things, and, and God said to Abraham, and it gets tough because suddenly he starts to sound unreal. Like he has this like dialogue going on with God and they are like good buddies. And um, what do we do with that? When it says, God said, was it a vision? Was it like a voice from heaven? Like the text doesn't say it, but I, I do want to point out that from we gather, this is the first time that, that Abraham has such a clear encounter with the true and living God. Something that is so... Um, out of the ordinary for him, that it changes his tracks and is significant in his story. Um, and so this encounter uh, is something that, um, that I think we, when we relate it to our situation, we have to kind of understand what, what is it that it takes for us to change our direction. Um, 
the encounter is enough for, for uh, Abraham to take God by his word. And I mean, um, uh, what is being said is quite significant. It's uh, uh, to leave his people, to leave his tribe, to leave, leave his family. And to do that, like, what would it take for us to do that? Well, um, what kind of encounter would that take for us? When I think about my life, uh, I had several encounters with God that I would say were significant in my story, that I would record about my story. But there was never like an audible voice from, from heaven. Like one of the first times that I would say in my life I have seen like a significant uh, change of direction in my life was when God called me into following Christ when I was 23. Uh, but it was not that something happened right, right away, but there were certain moments, certain questions that I had. But then in August 2000, I had, I had this, this encounter with God when I was in e while I was in Egypt where I just was uh, reading about his story and I could not not follow him. And it's something I cannot explain, but if I would write my story, this would be something where I would say, God said to me, come follow me. And, and I had the same thing when I decided to go to seminary. It's not like, oh yeah, and then I had this dialogue with God. I said, what do you think? Should I go to seminary? Should I be in banking? And oh, yeah, I think it's, it's pretty good. I go to seminary. And, um, but it was something where as I started, started walking my journey with God, he started to talk to me through people, through his word. And, um, and there was this, this um, tension building up inside of me that I could not not do. And so there again, if I would write my story, I would say, and God spoke to me that I should leave my stuff behind and go to seminary. It happened to me again like seven years ago when, when I decided to come to Hong Kong. It was never on my radar. But suddenly God opened a door and everything pushed me to that, uh, to that journey. Four years ago, I wanted to quit my time in Hong Kong. And God used so many ways that I could not not do this. And um, so, so these are the, the, the circumstances where I would say, okay, this is where God spoke to me. So when you look at this, this scripture passage and you see Abraham having this, this conversation with God, is he a bigger-than-life character? Or are there moments in your life where you would say, this is a, a time in my life where I have seen God calling me, where I've seen God interacting with me? And if you are here and, and you think, oh, I don't really know like, where that, that could be found in my life, um, then maybe it's like the time before Abraham uh, had this first encounter that there's something building up towards something where God is speaking. So what kind of encounter uh, would it take for us to drastically change direction in our life? What kind of, um, of God says to you would it take for you to make such a significant life change that you may leave Hong Kong, your country, your family, your relationships, and take a drastic turn, uh, uh, turn in your life? Um, I want to look at uh, verses 2 and 3 and see kind of like what kind of encounter Abram had with God here. So God says to pack his, uh, pack his stuff up or you know, leave his place. And then he says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and uh, whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What strikes me about this passage is, first of all, that it's not a blessing. I mean, all these blessings, blessings that, that God promises, uh, they are not things that Abraham ever asked for. But um, it started with God reaching out 
to Abram. It's not like Abram was on his knees asking to God, hey, if you're real, come sh show up and, and tell me um, like, uh, how you want to use my life or bless my business. But when I look at my life, that's often how I, I look for God to show up, how God fits in my plan and in my, in my, uh, my life story. Uh, but here it says that he, he, he comes up and he says, I will, I will, I will, I will. So God comes with a very clear plan and uh, calls him into following this. This plan um, is something else that is so easily to be missed. And we could re read through this uh, two, two verses so quickly, but actually there are scholars that suggest that you could divide the Bible right at these verses. That you could basically say chapters 1 to 11 could be the first half of the scripture. And everything else from chapter 12 on, from this, this calling, could be the rest. Now, let me explain what is so significant here. So up to this point, the story has been about how things are falling apart. It's uh, how something that was created for good has now gone on a journey, but this is a journey of destruction. Things are falling apart, and, and we have seen humanity breaking with that relationship with God. We have looked into uh, the results of um, Adam and Eve's um, rebellion and, and their, their, them being banned from the garden. We have seen the flood bringing uh, creation to the brink of destruction. And we have also seen last week how humanity now was scattered all over the world. But here we see a turning point in human history. While up to this point things have been falling apart and humanity is moving further and further away from God, here we see God calling Abraham to be the father of a people who would make his name great. Um, as a beginning point of a movement back towards him, the beginning of a journey to restore all these broken things. I mentioned before um, how it was, was difficult in, in seminary for me to, to relate to this, this great story that God is writing. Um, but I thought, okay, this is like biblical studies. My, my, once I learn all these terminologies, it's okay. But, oh, theology, maybe that, that's something that, that may work better for me. Like, I'm a lot of like German writers and German theologians, maybe that gives me an advantage. And um, so one day I was in theology class and uh, one of my professors uh, started talking and he uh, wanted to use a, a well-known German theological term and, uh, which, which is called Heilsgeschichte. Now, I had never heard of that term in my life in German. And uh, so he, he pronounced it and he wanted to see whether it's correct and I looked at him very confused and so he tried to pronounce it over and over again and, and all the classmates were, were looking at him and thinking, he has just a really bad German pronunciation. I was sitting, oh my gosh, I have no clue what, what, what the word even means. So after class, I went home and you know, I had to do that quite a bit. So I had to look up, kind of like, okay, what's the translation? What does it even mean? So I looked up this term and so the term is called salvation history. Uh, it's a term that was, was coined in the 19th century. Um, if you ever want to read German theology, stop in the 19th century, don't go through the 20th century. Just a disclaimer. There's just, just a lot of dodgy stuff we came up with afterwards. Um, so... So 19th century, salvation history is the term, and the definition is salvation history refers to all redemptive activity of God with human history to effect his eternal saving intentions. So salvation history views all events in human history, especially those recorded in the scripture, as arranged toward bringing about God's plan of saving his people. Everything from the beginning and end of history is arranged to bring about God's plan of saving people. Let me put that into um, some kind of real-life example. Uh, any, any friends of CSI here? 
uh, CSI is a TV show. Um, I, I'm sure you, some of you have watched it. Uh, it's an American TV show, and it follows a crime scene investigation team as they search for evidence um, and to resolve murders, basically. So every time it's kind of like follows pretty much the same format, like some kind of murder happens. And then uh, as something goes wrong, about like two minutes into the show, the crime scene investigation team like shows up at the, at the murder scene, and they're starting to try to figure out what's going on. So the rest of the show is them trying to put the pieces back together that at the end of the show, uh, that things are being resolved, they have solved the puzzle, and justice can be served. Now there's something pretty frustrating when you want to watch CSI and you turn on in minute three, because you have just missed out on the crime. Now they do an okay job with kind of like revisiting that, but it can be kind of like taking a long time to even like put together the piece of, okay, what, what just happened here? Like they are trying to figure something out, but I don't know what it is. And this is how I felt about salvation history, that I jumped in into that story of God, having missed the beginning, having missed like most of it, and feeling like, okay, where am I in this? And so this is the journey of salvation history and, and trying to figure out where we put in. So as we, as we look into Genesis chapter 12, we see the starting point of the crime being resolved, the greatest crime being an offense to God, the relationship with humanity breaking, and now God introduces his rescuing plan, his, his way of restoring things, of, of bringing justice, bringing restoration to that which is broken. As God invites Abraham on this journey to bring restoration, I think it's really interesting because it's not like he goes to Abraham and says, hey, I want you to have a really prosperous life for yourself or, um, you know, I want to bless your plan. But it's about Abraham leaving his plan behind and there will be a greater blessing, the, the blessing of, of taking part in God's plan of salvation history. The history um, of salvation, starting here, continues from one person to a tribe, to a nation, and we just had a team from Israel returning that went to that nation. And so 30 of us went to, went to um, Israel, to the nation of Israel where God promised a nation to, um, to be hunted thousands of years ago in, in, in this promise. And they came back and, and one of the spots they visited there was the place where, uh, where Jesus was baptized in Luke 3. And you can look that up in your Bible or I will read it to you. In Luke 3, um, uh, verse 21, and I want to just read this to you. It starts saying, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Methat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph. And for 10 verses, generation after generation, the sons and the sons and the sons are listed till verse 34, it says the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, and it continues through the generations we have, um, we have seen today, and, and the son of Noah, and finally in Luke 3, verse 38, it says the son of Thess, the son of Adam, the son of God. And as I'm reading through this genealogy, I'm in awe of God's plan. And I, I said that to whom? 
preparing for this is the first time that I've cried through a genealogy. Um, just seeing God's plan of salvation being worked out and spanning generation after generation, it's an unbelievable pointer to God's salvation history that he invites us into a story uh, that is, is bigger than any story any human being could ever write. It spans from the beginning of time to the end of time. This is the story of a covenant established with Abraham that finds its climax in Christ coming and being crucified and bringing redemption to all, inviting us to, uh, to his ultimate uh, goal in heaven and making peace and reconciliation with creation. And so we see this promise in this chapter then fulfilled and all people on earth will be blessed through you. This blessing spans on to all of us here today. And seeing the grand scale of, of, of God, or what God is saying uh, here, here to Abraham, that the, the promise he's calling him into going over generation and generation, it just blows my mind. Um, you start to look at your own story and you see that selfishness and it calls you to humility about how I approach my life, that I feel like, okay, um, I want you to bring about my plan. But one day all of us will see God and we'll see the big, big picture of, of his plan of salvation spanning through all generations. And, and we will stand there with, the, with our chapter our accomplishments, the plans that we have carried out, and the question will, will be, did they have any plan, a part in God's plan? How do they fit into the salvation history? And let me encourage you um, as a church that what this text says is something I see all around in this body of believers. Um, I see it in the love and care that you show to the ICM kids and how you invite them into God's redemptive work. And I see it in the way the community was built here uh, for people to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the St. Barnabas ministry to the homeless, uh, to the elderly homes in the area. I see it through the guys that have served in the university ministry faithfully and mentored young guys that are lost on their journey. And I've seen it everywhere I walk in this church um, when people leave their own plans behind, their own goals, and they put them under God's great plan of salvation history. So I, I want to close with this final part of, of the scripture that we have here. So as Abram went, as, as the Lord had told him, it says that Abram traveled through the land as far as the side of the great tree of Merah at Shechem. At, the, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who appeared to him. From there he went toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tents with Bethel on the west and I on the, on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. And so the, what the text leaves us with as a reminder is that Abraham sets on this journey to join in uh, into that great story of, of God, that he builds an altar on the way as a reminder that it's not about his glory, but about God's glory. And so I think about this day when we will stand in front of God and we look at our story and we realize that it's more worth to have a line or even a footnote in the great story of God than having written a great book that brings glory to us. 
Let me pray. Father, um, as, as we just see your, um, your word and as we see your salvation history and your plan, uh, we just send an awe of you know, how you carry out your plan from the beginning of time to the end, um, how you're in control even if we don't feel like it. And so today we pray that, that we would hear you speak um, in whatever way it takes for us to leave our ways behind, our dreams behind, our plans behind, to follow you, to, to join in your great story, um, to see that this is all about your history of saving everything and redeeming everything to yourself. And we thank you that, that we see that in, in you coming to this world and that in your dying on the cross, you have shown the greatest uh, sign of what it means for you to lay down everything to redeem us, that your plan is about redeeming us. We pray this in Christ's name.